What's up, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of the Premier League Podcast here on FanRag Sports. My name is Sebastian Noren. With me is Polly Questel and Elliot Niblock. It's World Cup qualifying time here. We got two crunch games coming up for the United States. So that's where most of our focus will be on that episode. We will also take a quick look at Europe and see what England did here today as they played against Slovenia. But first... They sucked! They <laughs> sucked except for a moment of brilliance in like the 93rd minute. There we go. Yeah, we'll get to that one later on. But first and foremost, the United States going up against Panama here tomorrow, Friday. Orlando City Stadium in Orlando. A must-win game. And Polly, if you That's look big, if it's true, big I, if true. I mean, it is kind of true. I would call this a must-win. I'm pretty sure they have to win. I'm pretty sure they have to win both games. Well, if we take a quick look at the standings here, we'll see that you, the United States are sitting in that inter-confederations playoff spot. That's the fourth place in the hex. Uh, Panama sits in third, one point above them, and then they are level on points with Honduras. So I mean, I if you get out of this with four points, I still I still think you'll be good. Yeah. But at the same time, two wins would be nice, especially as that would put the U.S. in that third spot, uh, giving them a automatic qualification through the World Cup. I'm sorry to say it, but two wins should be expected. You're playing yes. a home game, and then you're playing against the worst team in in the division that everybody else has beaten. Uh, yeah, you with a minus games, eleven goal differential. If you don't win two games, then like we, you know, you deserve it's it's deserved. It, I, someone said it on Twitter yesterday. The, they summed it up better than I could sum it up myself. They said the U.S. Uh, should easily roll over Panama. Um, however, teams that easily roll over Panama wouldn't be in this situation to begin yeah. with. Yep, that is very true. Yeah, after only getting a. Uh, 1-1 draw against Honduras in their last game and then losing at home to Costa Rica 2-0 ahead of that has really put the U.S. in a bad spot here. And, and Elliot, if you take a look at the squad here that Bruce Arena selected for these two games, is there anything in particular that sticks out for you, positive or negative? I mean, it's... Or it could be two negatives. That's okay, too. <laughs> it's not, no, let's, let's go with positive. And, you know, I, I think that... I'm certainly the biggest fan of MLS between the three of us on this podcast. There's no doubt about that. But, you know, myself included, the three of us are comparatively critical of the level of play in MLS versus other leagues abroad, right? But nonetheless, even though the league itself is n not anywhere close to, you know, even the English championship, right? But nonetheless, the form that Toronto FC have been in can be a boon for the United States national team. And I'm I'm afraid I'm gonna swallow my tongue, but I'm just come on, Josie. You gotta you gotta at least score at home. Like get on that score sheet in Orlando and then we'll worry about how many minutes you get in Russia. Hopefully it's about mm, sixty cumulatively over the course of several matches later. But for the time being, I mean I, you know, so we, we kind of touched on it before we started recording, but the the absence of Fabian Johnson is something that, you know, Paulie, as you said, every, a lot of people have been pointing it out. You know, some people are up in arms about it. And while I think that he is a quality player, his form has been quite bad, right? Like both for, I mean, he's 
had himself pretty much left out of Borussia Mönchengladbach's side. And so therefore, even though the quality of Johnson is inarguable, hopefully the form of middling players who have been mainstays for this team, like Michael Bradley and Josie Altador for club, can carry over for country. But yeah, I mean, boy, they it's back up against the wall time. And hopefully they come out firing and not like they came out during the last international his, break. His form might be his form might be bad. It, he might be it might just be he's not getting a lot of time. He's not getting a lot of time for his club. That doesn't merit dropping him from the squad when he's one of your better players because there's plenty of other guys on this team who have had bad form and have been dropped from their clubs and they still get the call up. Now maybe they don't start. And there's no reason no there's nobody saying you have to um, start Fabian Johnson, but there have been plenty of times. Uh, we're looking at Altidore. We're looking at Bradley. Where people, where their recent form has not merited a place in the team, but their ability. You know, you say, oh, it's a big game, and he's got that experience, and we need to put him in the team because what if he snaps out of that bad funk, and we get the Michael Bradley or the Josie Altidore or the Fabian Johnson that we know he can be, and for that he should be on the team now. I- Again, you don't have to start him, but if we need a goal late, we should be able. Like he should be there to be called upon. You could go and give us 20 minutes. You can't give us 90, but we should be able to call on you to give us 20 minutes. And if you had a comparative player to replace him with, that's fine. But if you're going to replace him with Giassi Zardes, you've got problems because Giassi <laughs> uh, Zardes hasn't been in good form either. No, he's not. He's not going to be in this one. Well, he's, he's injured, so he yeah. he withdrew. But it, the fact of the matter was, he was named anyway, and his his form has been god awful. And yeah. and like we said, again, if you have a comparative player, bring him in. Uh, the fact that Weston McKinney, who is now playing for Schalke, and who even Landon Donovan said he yeah. expects him to make the World Cup team, call him in. You call the twenty six players, like three of them aren't even going to be um like eligible to be subbed into the game. So yeah. calling up, calling up Weston McKinney and even and then not even having him on the bench, but just having him with the team and training with the national team and being there for these games, that's invaluable experience. And at the end of the day, you don't even have to waste a roster spot on him. Well, I mean, McKinney's kind of a non-starter too because he's he's injured with a I think a thigh problem. But all right, well, fair um, enough. But like I'm saying, to go back to what you said before. If you're going to drop Fabian Johnson and replace him with an MLS player, you're not doing U.S. soccer a service. And I forgot yeah. what the numbers are, but I looked it up after the last round of games when we were when we were poor. I looked up how many European-based players we had on the team in the 2014 World Cup, which was, I believe, around 14. In the 2010 World Cup, it was a similar number. It might have been one or two higher. Last, And then I looked up how many Mexico had. You know, because, again, that yeah. thing that Bruce Arena said in September that the European-based players can't play twice in one week at this point in the season is baloney. And kudos to yeah. Casey Keller on ESPN who called him out for that BS. Mexico well, had in the double digits of, of, um, of international players. The U.S., I believe, had six, and two of them weren't even playing in the top division in that country. Yeah, well, they got I mean, and, five here in this squad. So you got, yeah, you yeah, Jeff Cameron Stoke. I mean, that's... If you look at the Mexican squad, though, yeah. like, everybody, when, when we talk about players going abroad and, and moving, everyone in America says, oh, well, where do you want them to go to England and, and take that big money deal at Liverpool and 
fight for your chance in the team? No, you don't have to go to Liverpool or Manchester United or Manchester City. If you look at Mexico, their team, most of them are, are playing for middle-of-the-table sides in La Liga or teams like Porto and Benfica. They have a lot of people in Portugal. Just get out there. It's better. And like I've been saying, maybe we can't get players in the Champions League right now. Maybe we're not good enough. But we should be aiming to get them into the Europa League where yeah, you I mean, I think multiple styles. I, even though, well, okay, I'll say two quick things. First, that... I think that the scintillating form of Toronto FC, which if they end up lifting the cup, has a strong argument to be the best MLS team in history. I think that that lifted the cup last year, though. What did that do for us? Well, but that may help. Well, so here, this is what I'm saying. That may help buoy this Bruce Arena side, but it doesn't necessarily mean that Bruce Arena's over reliance on MLS players is, you know, it's it will cover up that misgiving of his but it won't necessarily mean that that underlying weakness of his squad selection isn't still there so i mean yeah you're gonna hope you're gonna hope that they're in good form but i probably what you're saying reminds me of i think the worst career move for one of those star Toronto players which is when josie altidore left ajax because he was or excuse me not ajax um az uh az alkmaar mm-hmm. but he was the the first name on their team sheet, he scored an ultimately match-winning goal in the first time that they won the domestic cup in the Netherlands. And he was going to be, you know, guaranteed starting almost every game he's fit for a competitive team in Europe. And then what does he do? He goes to England and he very quickly plummets down the pecking order for a side doomed to relegation in Sunderland. Well, he went to a, he went to a physical... He went to a physical league, and when you get physical with him, he falters. But what you said, you 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 were just missing the one part. He he was at Alkmaar. He was scoring tons of goals. Now I understand everybody scores in the in the Dutch league, which is why it's very good that Matt Miazga is playing there because that that league is all attack. So that's good for defenders. You get to learn how to defend, and the fact that he can't get a look is such a shame yeah. because. Again, um, uh, Bruce Arena keeps calling in these MLS defenders. Well, guess what? When Matt Miazga was 20 years old, he was the best defender in MLS. That's why he left. So stop giving these guys a look. Give it to Miazga. We're about to start Omar Gonzalez and Tim Ream again. As if that hasn't been terrible every single time. But what Josie Altidore got by scoring 30 goals a year in the Dutch League, confidence. Confidence is key right now. And right now the U.S. doesn't have any of that. And Josie Altidore doesn't have any of that because they're so they're such a complacent team, and what it's doing is it's really exposing Bruce Arena as someone who doesn't know what he's doing. You you, you brought him in because quote unquote he has experience with Concacaf. That experience is over ten years old. Um, he he relies on guy. He brings in Chris Wondolowski into camp constantly because he says, "Oh, Demarcus Beasley and Chris Wondolowski, their experience helps us." Their experience got us one point in the last two games. And that one point came off of a goal that was set up by Pulisic and Jordan Morris and Bobby Wood. That is true. That is definitely true. And I, I feel like on the in the same vein as Miaska, I know that, you know, we've been talking about who's gonna take over after the, you know, Tim Howard era. And I don't think it should be Brad Guzan. I don't think anyone of um, us think it should be Brad Guzan. And Ethan, yeah. Ethan Hor- Horvat, now, you know, he got a move from Molde, Norway, to Club Bruges in Belgium. 
why isn't he at least there as the third keeper to what get is, what more do you need Nick to deputize? For? Yeah. yeah. What do you need Nick Romano for? Your third goalkeeper is not going to see the field at all. And it's one thing if you had like a 26, you know, back in 2010 when Howard was, what, 26, 27, and Guzan was of a similar age, and you bring in an old guy to be that veteran guy. Tim Howard is the veteran. Brad yeah. Guzan is veteran enough. You could bring a young guy in to just watch. Yeah, but so that's Tim- that's the thing is that I think that Ramondo has a place in this team. Guzan does not, right? Like, keep Ramondo. That's fine. I'm fine with him being one of the three, but I agree entirely that Horvath should be there deputizing, you know, at least building partnerships on the practice field with a lot of these defenders who are going to be going to Russia and hopefully moving forward. Dear God, dare I say it, going to Qatar. Yeah. yeah I, mean... I, hear, I hear what you're saying. I, my reason, my, I'll, I'll, I'll give Brad Guzan a spot on the team because at this point it's very clear um, Bruce Arena intends to use him. He said it in September. He doesn't think Howard can play two games in a week. So he intends to use him. And at the moment, you know, yes, Guzan really coughed up the Gold Cup and he was poor. He had his moments in the, in the Copa America, but was also poor in the Copa America. He hasn't had a bad moment in qualifying, especially in the Hex just yet. So I'm, um, I'm okay with that. Now, obviously he was, he was very bad against, against Costa Rica in the away game, but, but of recently he hasn't been terrible. So if he's going, to, if Bruce Arena is dead set on using two keepers, I guess we can go with Guzan. It doesn't kill me. What bothers me is the way that Arena is setting up his team. And, and he's claiming that he's, he's trying to build this team around Christian Pulisic, but he's not doing that at all. No, we'll take a short break here and then we'll come back to that, Polly. So guys, stick around. We'll be right back after these messages. And we're back. Right before we went to break, Polly, you touched upon something that we need to discuss here. Bruce Arena saying that he's going to build a team around Christian Pulisic, but is he really doing that? He's not. So international managers have a big dilemma to face, and that is, do I want to play my best 11 guys or do I want to play my best team? There's always, you know, you look at a team like, like Germany where they have so many attacking midfielders. So many teams have their best players all play the same position. And sometimes you got to get a little bit creative in order to get them all onto the field. So that Bruce Arena, he claims he's trying to build the team around Christian Pulisic, but what he's trying to do is play his best 11 guys and somehow focus the team around Pulisic, which isn't working because he has to change the entire shape and everything. And the U.S. really, it, they, you have to sacrifice somewhere and they're getting exposed there. If he wants to build the team around him, then he needs to look at a, He has to take a blank slate and say, who's my first guy that I'm putting on the field? Pulisic. Where do I want him to play? You number say, 10. I think he's, I think he's best as number 10. You put him there. Okay. Who's the second guy on my team sheet? Bruce Arena's probably going to say Michael Tim Bradley. For, all right. So for argument's sake, yes. Tim Howard's already in goal. Yep. Michael Bradley. Where does, where is he best fit? Number six. Okay. So we're going to put mm. him there. Now is where it gets interesting because now you say, Okay, can Bradley do the number six job on his own? No. So we need a second midfielder. So whether that's going to be Dax McCarty or Kellen Acosta or anybody, irrelevant right now. The next question you have to ask is, okay, so we're going to have a a number 10, two midfielders. Do we want to play three at the back? Do we want to play with one striker? And that's where you got to go from there. So so let's say you you choose we're going to go with a back four, um, 
because we're still trying to shore up our defense and we're going to go with one striker. Now you got to ask, okay, can Quinn Dempsey be that one striker? Or is, does he have too many miles on his legs? He's got too many miles on his legs. He's going to be a sub. He's out. Can Josie Altador do it? Well, Josie Altador can't really play as one striker. We need to play with two strikers. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, well, Josie Altador can't really play soccer. <laughs> well, he can't, but he is admittedly better and but still bad with two strikers. So if you if you want to go with a back three, then you could accommodate Altador. If you want to go with a back four and play with a lone striker, Altador's out. Could Bobby Wood do it? Yes. yes. And from there, every decision. All right, Darlington Nagby. Where is he at his best? On the left side, cutting in. Okay, that leaves space on the left side, so we need an attacking left back. If we're too attacking on the right side, if like you're going to play DeAndre Yedlin, who's going to fly up the field, maybe you need to play someone like Ali Bedoya, who's a little bit more defensive-minded and can cover him. Every decision affects the next decision, and in, and that's how Bruce Arena has to pick the team. But instead, it looks like he's just saying, "All right, I'm going to. These are the 11 guys that I'm going with." Let's figure out how to put them on the field and, and figure out how to get the best out of Pulisic, which doesn't work. No, especially if he's trying to force Pulisic out wide. I mean, that just does, God, not, yeah. does not suit. I mean, he, he can still do a good job there, but it's not yeah. where he's at his best. And, no. I, and he is our best player. He should play in his best position. Well, I, I mean, I, he's... He's young enough that figuring out his best position is still up for debate, but I, I do think that we need him in the number 10 role. I mean, ideally, I want to see moving forward and hopefully, knock wood, moving into Russia, uh, Christian Pulisic in the number 10 role and Bobby Wood playing as kind of a false nine off him. You know, I, I guess Josie's kind of the option for the central striker, but... Those, I mean, that partnership, the Wood-Pulisic partnership, is where I think the attacking future of the U.S. men's national team lies. But, like, here's the thing, and it, it goes right back to what I was saying. If you're playing Pulisic as that number 10, and then even, even if you stupidly decide to put out the door up there, but if you put Bobby Wood up there, you're not a team now that's going to thrive on getting the ball out wide, especially if Darlington Nagby is one of your wingers. You're not a team that's going to thrive on getting the ball out wide, getting it deep and crossing it in. You're a team that's going to thrive on hitting people with pace, uh, hitting them on the counterattack and making clever runs in behind the defense and having clever guys like uh, Pulisic or Darlington Nagby who can pick out a pass like that, which means it's hard for Altidore to fit in because you're not a team that really, you don't want a hold up guy. You no. want a guy that's going to take it and go. Yeah, but it almost seems like Arena is leaning a lot on the older players he almost seems scared to play some of the younger guys Pulisic has forced his way in because he's just that damn good Kellen Acosta I mean he's yeah he's still young 22 and he's starting to solidify a starting spot here but I mean why isn't Miaski on this team why isn't Cameron why isn't Cameron Carter Vickers tied to the U.S. yet because Jurgen screwed that up but also Cameron Carter Vickers has been he's been inconsistent I'd like to see Matt Miaski in there the question is, how is, you know, all the articles I'm reading this week are we're going to go to a back three with Cameron, Gonzalez, and Tim Reed. How is that the pairing? Like, how? The, the U.S. has not had a more steady, reliable, dependable center back in the last five years than Matt Beasley. And the reason that Matt Beasley hasn't been the undisputed number one in the last five years is because we know what John Brooks' ceiling is, and it's much higher. And we just we want to give John Brooks those those minutes because 
we want him to achieve that. And we know ultimately he's going to be better than Beasler, but he's been erratic. Beasler has just, he's been the Michael Carrick. His peaks aren't high and his valleys aren't low, but somehow he can't buy a game. It, it boggles my mind. Yeah. I mean, and yeah, Omar Gonzalez has just been consistently culpable for bad goals conceded by the U.S. men's national team, which, I mean, again, though, speaking about club form, like he's been doing fine for Pachuca. So it's, I don't know, it, it's a, a little bit of a quandary, but I mean, I, to your point, I, I totally agree that, you know, he it, should be It starting. goes back to what Seb said, is that he doesn't want to give any of the guys a chance. Like, Kellen Acosta has been really good in some games, and some games he's made mistakes, but that's inexperience. It's yeah. very rare to have someone like Christian Pulisic, uh, who just is really, really, really good right away and doesn't make mistakes, has that veteran IQ. Think back, uh, like, all right, so last World Cup, we took John Brooks, we took DeAndre Yedlin, who pretty much, I think they had like seven caps between them going into the World Cup, I think even fewer going into the send-off series. John Brooks played for 45 minutes that tournament. How did he play? You don't remember. You no. just remember the goal. He didn't play that well. He didn't play well enough for Jurgen Klinsmann to trust him again. He just happened to score the biggest goal. DeAndre Yedlin was like lightning in a bottle. He came in and was great. He turned the game against Portugal, and he was fantastic against Belgium. And then what happened after that? He kept playing. He couldn't even buy a game at his, when he moved to Tottenham. He kept playing for the U.S., and he kept making a ton of mistakes because he's young. That happens. You just got to stick with it. And Bruce Arena right now, he's just going with the same guys over and over again that aren't getting the job done. No, I mean, he's playing it safe, but at the same time, his safe picks are not good enough. Right. Well, what's, I mean, define safe, because that's exactly the well, point. Well, okay, he's going by names, like name right, recognition. Right, exactly. It's, it's, um, it's. If I drop Michael Bradley and it doesn't work, I'm screwed. Mm -hmm. But by keeping him in there, you're all, you're you're also kind of like screwing yourself. You're you know you're. I'm trying to think of an analogy and I'm I'm drawing a blank here. The well, other day I read an article and I I chirped Hercules Gomez, the former U.S. striker, on Twitter, and he responded and we had a little bit of a discussion where he claims that this World Cup cycle isn't a failure because the the talent pool is deeper than ever than ever, and you know maybe the team isn't as good. But from 1 to 60 in the, in the U.S. player pool, we're better than we've ever been. And I don't disagree with that. The talent pool is as deep as can be. Yeah. But, but you can't deep, trust the manager to pick from that. Well, it's, it, it's irrelevant how deep the talent pool is if you use the same 14 guys. Yeah. You know? Like, if you're, if you're not willing to drop Michael Bradley and see what Kellen Acosta and Caleb Stanko can give you as a pair, then – or uh, Kellen Acosta and Danny Williams. If you're not – if you're – not willing to see what they can give you hair, then what good does having all that depth do? And yeah, people hang will tell fishing you, in the shallows, you never catch a tuna. Right. People will tell you, like, oh, the hex isn't the time to like give to try new players. The hex is exactly the time to try new players. Uh January 2013, in the the dumb January camp, that's when we found out about Matt Beasler. That's when Matt Beasler broke into the US team. And Jurgen Klinsmann threw him right into the hex. And you know, that, those first two games were uh, Costa Rica at home, Mexico away, and Beasler played in them. And by the time we hit October or September, Beasler picked up a really awful yellow card when the guy took a, a massive dive and the ref didn't even see it and just ran over to Beasler, gave him a yellow card. He was suspended for the Mexico match, and everybody was up in arms. And that was a player that nine months prior was making his debut. Yeah. Okay, the so is when you learn about players and when you have to try new things. 
Yes. Well, but the other, I mean, the other thing is that, Seb, I know you want to move on, but the last thing I'll say on that is just like, even when he does try new players, right? Like in the Gold Cup, for example, and even when yeah, those new players do well, then they disappear. It's like, what? it doesn't, it totally doesn't matter. You know, it's like you go out and take a car for a test drive and you're like, that's fantastic. I love this car. But you know what? I'm going to keep winning this one that drinks three I'm going to go buy a oil. used Honda Civic. Like, exactly. <laughs> you know, Dom Dwyer was great. Kellen Rowe was great. Uh, what's the other guy's name? The other, I forget his name, but there was hmm. someone else who was great. I mean, he got- those, those two were especially standouts. I mean, right. Kellen Rowe particularly. I thought I he mean, did fantastic. They get sent home after the group stage so that Michael Bradley can come in because, again, according to Bruce Arena, winning this trophy was very important. It wasn't important to learn what you have depth-wise. It was winning the trophy so he can come back and say, well, look, we're winning and we're back. But then look who played awful in that tournament. Giassi Zordis was so bad. And he gets the call-up instead of Kellen Rowe? Uh, you know, you, you called up 26 players. There's no room for Dom Dwyer? Yeah, that is odd. So, quick hit here. How do you think the game against Panama is going to end? Give me a scoreline. Okay. I don't, I don't freaking know. Because I don't know how we're going to come out and, and handle yeah. this. And all the reports that I'm that I'm seeing are we're going to go to the back three with Gonzalez and, and Cameron and... Um, and Reem and I've been saying for a year I think that back three is is our is the best formation based on the talent that the U.S. has. However, those are not the players I would use in it. Okay, I'm and gonna I'm gonna say two to one. Two to one to the U.S. I believe. Uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna hold out hope against hope and say we get three. Uh, but yeah, I we mean, concede a goal. We totally concede. Yeah. <laughs> well, this game's either ending one one or four or five nil. Okay. Yeah. It's going one of those two ways. I, I mean. I I just I don't trust the U.S. to keep clean sheets, right? No. But I mean, I I agree with I you. Mean, that I, I think it's going to do... be a terrible nail biter or a you know a easy breezy win where we're two nil up, maybe two one, then go to three uh, one. Okay. I think that they can keep a clean sheet simply because they'll have eighty percent of the possession. Mm. Okay, let's move over quickly to the England game here. They beat Slovenia 1-0, Harry Kane with the lone goal in stoppage time, and that punched England's ticket to the World Cup, although this was not pretty. Well, I'm sure they won't disappoint in the World Cup. That's very unlike England. Oh, yeah. I mean, if they play like this, they're going to get knocked out in the group stage. Yeah, but at the same time, Slovenia, they, it, I want to say the same. I want to say that, and I want to say England, they were really bad, and, and what's the... the the, uh, like what's the bright side to look at for them I happen to think and I almost you know wanted to talk about it like earlier in the week I thought Jesse Lingard I think Jesse Lingard should be a starter for them right now which is saying a lot because I don't rate Jesse Lingard that highly I think he's a squad player at best but I think he could he should start for England and, and play a role it's hard to read too much into this because they were missing Deli Alley. yeah Eric Dyer is no Deli Ali. That is well, true. Well, Dyer's playing a different. He's playing. You're playing yeah. Raheem Sterling, who hasn't scored for England in two years, and yeah. missed a sitter. You're playing oh, him man. as the number ten, whereas you he didn't just miss any. sitters. He skied terrible shots from outside the box as well. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the, I had the game on, but I was I was working, so I wasn't really looking. Put up at one point a free kick in a dangerous area, like where you have, and I'm like Rashford's on the field, Harry Kane's on the field. Raheem Sterling's on the field. Eric Dyer, who we saw hit one in the Euros from a similar place, on the field. And somehow, Kyle Walker's taking that free kick. And he skied it over the bar. 
And I was like, how in the world on a team, you know, this isn't Everton with Leighton Bain. This is a team with plenty of guys that can hit these things and you let your right back do it. Yeah, that is kind of odd. That is kind of odd. England, they will wrap up their qualifications by going to Lithuania on uh, Sunday. So uh, with that, we're going to say goodbye for this episode. We'll talk to you again on Monday. Hopefully we'll be in good spirits after the U.S. game. Until then, follow us on Twitter. I'm Seb Noren. Paul is Pete Questel. And Elliot is Keats was better. So until next time, have a good one. Bye-bye.